Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio, and how the tech are you? So recently, I mentioned in a tech news episode of Tech Stuff that cryptocurrency exchange FTX was in deep trouble, which honestly was putting it lightly. And I mentioned that the founder of that exchange, or co-founder, I should say, a guy named Sam Bankman-Fried, but more commonly referred to as SBF, was making the rounds, taking responsibility for the whole thing. He subsequently resigned as CEO of FTX. That happened uh, on Friday, last Friday. Today, by the way, being November 14th, 2022. So for those of you listening from the future, you can... You're going to be referring to that calendar a lot. Anyway, uh, that catastrophe, the FTX catastrophe, is far larger than I could cover in a typical tech news segment. So I thought I would explain it in greater detail here. Oh, so much detail. And we'll also talk about the ripple effect we're seeing as FTX goes through this existential crisis, which I think even that is being generous. I think FTX is, uh, is just... Uh, seeing the end of its days. 
But first, let's talk about cryptocurrency and exchanges in general so that we can understand the foundation of what's going on before we get into the details of what happened at FTX. So let's think back, way back to the origin of Bitcoin. In 2008, someone using the name Satoshi Nakamoto published a white paper that was titled Bitcoin, a Peer-to-Peer Electronic Cash System. That white paper laid out the details for Bitcoin's operation, that this was going to be a decentralized digital currency, that it would have a community of participants who would track transactions through a shared ledger that was on top of a blockchain, that this community would compete against one another to validate blocks of transactions, and the winner would take uh, some newly minted Bitcoin as a reward, that the supply of Bitcoin itself would be finite, that eventually all Bitcoin that will ever exist will be on the market, and that every couple of years, the number of Bitcoins that are awarded to the successful system that verifies a block of transactions will be cut down by half that the system itself would adjust the difficulty of the verification task based on the amount of computational power dedicated to solving it. This is called proof of work. It's a version of um, cryptocurrency validation and minting that is used not exclusively, but by a lot of different uh, cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin. And that's the thing that feeds into people making increasingly powerful computer systems to attempt to mine Bitcoin. But what wasn't really laid out was how people were going to get Bitcoin outside of just mining it. The peer-to-peer nature would allow one Bitcoin holder to transfer Bitcoin to someone else via some form of forum, such as Bitcoin Talk. That was one that Satoshi Nakamoto founded in early 2009. 2009 is also when Bitcoin officially launched. The white paper came out a year earlier, or really a few months earlier at the end of 2008. And January 2009 was when Bitcoin became something that people could actually participate in. Now, you could use Bitcoin in a personal transaction peer-to-peer, but that was really about it. And the peer-to-peer method worked, but it was also risky because there was no guarantee that the person with whom you were trading was on the up and up or that whomever held the Bitcoin would actually transfer the Bitcoin at the conclusion of the transaction. However, Bitcoin at the time was also virtually worthless. It would take thousands and thousands of Bitcoin to amount to enough money to buy a pizza, for example. And it would take a year before Bitcoin was worth even 39 cents per single Bitcoin. So what I'm saying is that while it was technically risky to engage in a peer-to-peer Bitcoin transaction, the value of the currency was so low that even a bad experience would likely result in the loss of, at most, a few bucks. Now today, a Bitcoin is worth around 16800 bucks as of the recording of this episode, that is. That level of risk is a bit too steep for most folks to just trust a peer-to-peer transaction, though those can still happen. But by late 2010, we started to see the first exchanges. So an exchange does what it says on the 10. It's an entity that can exchange one form of currency for another. One of the first exchanges was Bitcoin Market, and here's how it would work. Let's say you wanted some Bitcoin, but you weren't interested in mining for it. You just wanted to purchase some. You wanted to exchange some, let's say, U.S. dollars for the equivalent value in Bitcoin. 
Well, you could arrange to purchase Bitcoin from someone else who has it in their own digital wallet and do the peer-to-peer transaction. But again, that's risky. The other way is you could go with a Bitcoin market exchange approach where the Bitcoin owner would place the appropriate amount of Bitcoin in escrow and it would sit there in escrow until your payment of the equivalent in US dollars or whatever currency you're using cleared and got to the seller. Once the seller received the money, the Bitcoin would be released from escrow to your digital wallet, whether that was on the market or your own personal digital wallet that's, you know, that can be pulled offline if you want. And the transaction is concluded. Uh, One bit that is important to remember, cryptocurrency exchanges typically require a transaction fee to cover this process. The reason that's important is that there's really no incentive to use cryptocurrency for very small transactions because you'd end up paying more in transaction fees than you would for whatever the actual purchase was. This would be like if you walked into a store and you wanted to buy some gum and you had a credit card. So you buy it, you you know, you got a pack of gum that's, I don't know, a dollar and you want to pay with your credit card, but the merchant charges a $5 minimum for any credit card purchase. So do you really want that gum? Were you going to pay five bucks for a $1 pack of gum? I mean, alternatively, I guess you could buy a bunch of other stuff so that you at least feel like you're getting value for your money. But that's the point, right? Like you're not going to use a cryptocurrency if there's a, if the transaction fee amounts to a significant percentage of whatever you're purchasing in the first place. Well, another early cryptocurrency exchange that launched was uh, Mt. Gox. It launched in 2010. Mt. Gox was MT period G-O-X. And that name was actually an initialism for Magic the Gathering Exchange, <laughs> referencing the, the trading card fantasy game. This name is one of the most infamous in cryptocurrency history because not only did it become the dominant exchange in the crypto world, handling something like 70% of all Bitcoin transactions by early 2014, but that same year, 2014, saw Mt. Gox go under. So like they were on top of the heap and in that same year, they went extinct. It is not that different from what we're going to talk about with FTX. At least the the outcome is not that different. The actual events that led to it were a little different. The exchange, which again was the dominant entity on the crypto market, filed for bankruptcy, and we would learn that Mt. Gox had been hacked with assets stolen and hundreds of millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin disappearing from the exchange. In fact, At the time, the thefts amounted to 7% of the total supply of Bitcoin in the world. Like when you can, when you can look at a bank robbery and you can contextualize that as a percentage of all the money in the world, that's a big bank robbery. And uh, most of the, the money that was stolen didn't belong to the exchange itself. It belonged to customers who were keeping their money on digital wallets that were on exchange accounts. Again, not a good look when a bunch of people lose their money, not through any fault of their own, but because the exchange that held their accounts got hacked. Now, Mt. Gox's implosion sent a shockwave through the Bitcoin community and the value of the currency dropped more than 30%. But despite the massive and public collapse of this exchange, cryptocurrency was able to stick it out and recovered. 
All right, so there's a lot more to the history of cryptocurrency as well as cryptocurrency exchanges, but that really gives us a foundation that we can work from. So we're not going to dive into that anymore. Let's talk about FTX in particular. Now, that story begins with Sam Bankman-Fried, or SBF. This young man had worked for a while on Wall Street, and in 2017, he co-founded a company called Alameda Research. This was a quantitative trading firm. And that phrase will likely have at least some of you saying, uh, what? Now, if you didn't say, uh, what, you should at least know that I did say, uh, what, when I encountered it, because the world of investment is one that I'm not particularly well-versed in. But I'll give it a shot. Generally speaking, a quantitative trading firm relies heavily on math, statistics, and probability estimations to determine where markets are most likely heading. So you can sort of think of it as feeding a whole bunch of variables into a computer model and then projecting out what will happen from there. This, of course, is predicated on the assumption that financial markets will generally behave according to the value of these variables, which is an assumption that not everyone agrees with. This quantitative approach is heavily disputed in the investment world. I personally think it might be somewhat unreliable, but again, I hadn't even heard about this approach until today. So you could very legitimately argue that this is just my skeptical nature coming out, and I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to validity of the theory. Anyway, Alameda Research specialized in cryptocurrencies. So the firm would leverage cryptocurrency markets to make itself and its clients money. So that could include stuff like arbitrage. This is where you attempt to leverage a difference in price for something like a commodity or some asset and you try to make a profit. So if you wanted like an oversimplified example, let's say you know that apples are super cheap near you at the supermarket. Like you can buy them for super, super cheap, but you also happen to know that apples are twice as expensive across town. So you might buy up a bunch of cheap apples near you and then go across town and sell them for a profit, you know, lower than what the local markets are selling, but higher than what you paid for them. That kind of thing is what arbitrage is about, except, you know, with crypto and in much larger amounts than a few apples. So yeah, crypto apples. Alameda Research did more than arbitrage deals, however, but we can really think of it as a company that relied on computer models to make market-based decisions related to cryptocurrency. Alameda Research is going to play a huge part in our story moving forward. So, SBF founds Alameda Research in 2017. Two years later, 2019, SBF partners with Gary Wong, who used to be a Googler. He worked for Google. Uh, they, in turn, founded the FTX Cryptocurrency Exchange. So, now they've got a company that is an investment company that's entrenched in cryptocurrency and a cryptocurrency exchange. So two very closely related entities here. They do different things, but it's all in the world of, of crypto. Now, FTX, like a lot of cryptocurrency exchanges, had its own exchange token. Uh, this is a type of cryptocurrency that's created by the exchange itself. 
and it's meant to be used in all sorts of transactions and as a, an award and an incentive. So exchanges often use these tokens to encourage users to cover transaction costs and that kind of thing. Or they might do it to raise the company's liquidity in the exchange. Uh, it may also be used to hold a stake in the exchange. So users can purchase exchange tokens in order to have kind of a seat at the table when it comes to blockchain governance. Uh, this is kind of the decentralized approach of crypto, the idea that governance does not fall to some centralized entity, but instead is made up of the community itself. So by putting a stake in, you have a seat. It's kind of like owning stock in a company, right? If you own stock, that gives you the right to vote in various uh, stockholder meetings throughout the year. So yeah, that's kind of what these tokens are used for in general. And the FTX exchange token is the FTT. And yes, I apologize. We're getting into alphabet soup territory here, right? Because we've got SBF, the guy, the human being who co-founded this company. And then you've got FTX, the company. And then FTX meant the FTT token. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with FTT. Not really. I'm not down with FTT at all. FTT is down, though. Um, we're not done with initialisms. We're going to have more before this is done. But, you know, this is kind of the way that the crypto community communicates. They do it in a lot of, like, idioms and initialisms and acronyms. And it gets to a point where you start to wonder if anyone knows what they're talking about or can even, you know, explain the content of their sentences. I don't know. It's all Greek to me. Before everything went pear-shaped, you could buy FTT on FTX. But there were also other cryptocurrency exchanges that bought and sold FTT. So it was available on exchanges across the crypto world, not just FTXs. And I mention FTT because that's also going to play a very important part in our story later. Okay, we've been going for a bit. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk more about what went down at FTX. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable, high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. 
and you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Mother's Day is right around the corner. And in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so SBF and Wong co-founded FTX in 2019. One early investor in the company was a rival cryptocurrency exchange, the number one cryptocurrency exchange in the world called Binance. So yeah, the biggest cryptocurrency exchange out there. Now this story is going to unfold a little bit like a superhero and their arch nemesis kind of both coming of age at the same time. You know, they start off as friends, like the old Clark Kent and Lex Luthor are buddies at first, but then things take a turn and one of them wants to see the end of the other. You've got your supervillain. So if FTX is our superhero, Binance is our supervillain. Or if we want to talk about founders, SBF is our superhero. And Peng Zhao, also known as CZ, because again, more initialisms, is our supervillain. And spoiler alert, in this superhero story, the bad guy wins. Now for the record, I actually don't want to cast Binance or CZ as the villain, partly because the more we learn about FTX and SBF, the less heroic those seem as well. I think this is more of a story of a bunch of (laughs) supervillains working against each other in a way. All right, so Binance puts in a significant investment into this young FTX cryptocurrency exchange company. Two years later, in 2021, FTX is ready to pay back Binance's investment. Now, the whole point of an investment is to get a return. So this is FTX saying, okay, we've made our money. We're paying you off. Here's what you gave us plus more. Binance was essentially cashing out and FTX paid Binance in FTT. 
Again, that's the exchange currency for FTX, right? We talked about it just a minute ago. So in all, Binance received 23 million FTT tokens. And uh, it had a value around that time of $529 million. So Binance has a big old stash of FTT sitting in the exchange. In June 2021, FTX holds a round of funding that accumulates nearly $1 billion in investments. That's billion with a B. The company's value is projected at $18 billion. Not bad to go from being founded in 2019 to hitting nearly $20 billion in value in just two years. That's crazy. But hold on to your proverbial hats because we're about to get crazier. In fact, hold on to your hats and cinch your socks tight because I'm going to knock both of them off if you're not careful. So in October of 2021, just a few months after being valued at $18 billion, FTX went up to being valued at $25 billion a boost of $7 billion in just a few months. And FTX was leveraging this valuation to raise even more money from investors. That's one of the reasons why you want to tout your valuation is you're telling investors, hey, look at how quickly we are growing. You want to get in on this, so pour your money into it. So you might wonder, well, what is FTX doing with all the money it's making? (laughs) You know, because I mean, obviously, A lot of it's going into the operation of the exchange itself, but FTX was getting so much cash. So what was it doing with it? Well, one thing it was doing was promoting FTX in various extravagant ways. For example, in September 2021, FTX signed a sponsorship deal with a Formula One racing team. So they started putting the logo on the cars. And in April 2021, FTX signed a sponsorship deal with the Home Arena for the Miami Heat basketball team, calling it the FTX Arena. And this was a 19-year deal to have that naming rights. But FTX wouldn't last 19 years. And if I remember to come back to this, I'll give you an update on what's going on at the home of the Miami Heat and also that Formula One team. Spoiler alert, I will remember because I know I wrote it down. (laughs) Meanwhile, FTX is operating as a cryptocurrency exchange and becomes the second largest crypto exchange, only behind Binance. So Binance helped FTX get started, and now FTX is number two behind Binance's number one. And SBF started to make some really big moves, some of which would sour his relationship with Binance and its CEO, CZ, you know, Peng Zhao. All right, so first let's talk about SBF's moves to help companies that were affected by the collapse of crypto's value. Now, I'm pretty sure in a recent news episode, I talked about crypto's value crashing a couple of years ago, but that was my brain misfiring. Like it it hit me later that day that I said something that was wrong. Because I think I said, you know, a couple of years ago when Bitcoin was worth $60,000, that wasn't a couple of years ago. That was this year. That crash actually happened earlier this year in the spring of this year. It just feels to me like this year has lasted five years which I guess I could say about the last couple of years have felt that way. But anyway, so this past spring, and again, that's the spring of 2022 for any of you listening from the future, we saw crypto values in sharp decline. In a May 2022 article titled Cryptocurrencies Meltdown in a Perfect Storm of Fear and Panic, the New York Times reporter team spelled it all out. All right, so 
Toward the beginning of the pandemic, back in 2020, there was a spike in cryptocurrency adoption. This increase in demand caused cryptocurrency values to increase. You know, the more people want something, the more expensive it gets. And these included not just your regular old folks dipping their toes into Dogecoin or whatever. You had these massive financial companies, including banks and hedge funds, that were purchasing large amounts of cryptocurrency in a bet that those coins would continue to increase in value. To the moon, as the crypto bros would say. Um, side note, crypto bro is a pretty common, somewhat dismissive term for cryptocurrency enthusiasts, but obviously anyone of any gender can be interested in crypto. So crypto bro, as far as I'm concerned, should be considered a non-gendered term, but whether you agree with that or not, it is the term that a lot of folks use. All right, so the value for cryptocurrencies in general goes up and up. Bitcoin reached a peak of around 60 grand for a single unit of Bitcoin. In turn, the rising value of cryptocurrencies had lots of other consequences. Proof-of-work cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, you know, those are the ones that require participants to dedicate enormous amounts of compute power to have even a hope of mining a block of transactions, well, that meant that collectively, people were spending the same amount of electricity just to mine cryptocurrency as certain countries would use in an entire year. That, in turn, has an impact not just on electrical grids, but on carbon dioxide emissions. So for any coal-powered power plants out there, I mean, that increased demand just meant we were dumping more CO2 in the atmosphere because people wanted to mine Bitcoin. Then for less valuable cryptocurrencies like Ether, uh, a lot of the miners were scooping up powerful graphics cards. Like Bitcoin at this point had graduated well beyond graphics cards. You, you could have the best graphics cards on the market and not even make a dent in the sophisticated Bitcoin mining systems out there. But for stuff like Ether, where it wouldn't make financial sense to go so hard on your mining rig, you know, GPUs were a big asset, and it made it very hard for anyone else to get hold of those graphics processing cards, which really irritated a lot of gamers. Anyway, this trend could not continue indefinitely, and eventually values began to dip a bit. Now, there were a lot of external forces that would have a big impact as well. The world began to enter into economic uncertainty. I guess I still can't say recession. Uh, you started to have issues with inflation. You had interest rates going up. Uh, investments in stuff like crypto started to look increasingly risky. Then, you know, Russia invaded Ukraine, which made economic uncertainty even worse. And that led to some folks pulling out of the crypto market. So they were selling off their crypto so that they could walk away with a nice little profit. And then the value would dip a bit. Then you had folks getting nervous. So some folks began to sell off theirs because they're like, well, it's starting to go down and I don't want to be left holding the bag. So I'm getting out too. Now, arguably these cryptocurrencies were overvalued. So there was a need for a market correction, but this actually became a cascade because more and more folks began to try and claw back their money and crypto in general saw a really tough decline. That meant that some companies in crypto got into financial difficulty. They had extended deeply into the crypto market the crypto market drops out from under them, and they are drowning. And in sweeps SBF, who may or may not be a superhero or supervillain. Now, SBF really believed in his vision of crypto. 
And he has an altruistic streak a mile wide. I mean, he genuinely has talked a big talk and put a lot of money toward philanthropy. But for crypto to succeed, you know, he felt we really needed these various crypto companies to stick around or else all confidence is going to go out of crypto and the whole thing dies. So rather than let these companies go out of business, while companies like Alameda, FTX, and Binance may or may not be able to weather the storm, he directed his companies, which he owned like 70% of them, to acquire and bail out some of the smaller crypto companies that were in trouble. For example, this past July, July of 2022, FTX signed a deal with a company called BlockFi, which was a crypto lender company. That deal had an option to buy BlockFi at reportedly around $240 million. But the actual deal involved providing a $400 million credit facility for BlockFi to use. We'll get back to that at the end of this episode. Later in July, FTX reached out to a different crypto lender, one that was in the throes of bankruptcy. So this one wasn't just teetering. It was in Chapter 11. This one was called Voyager Digital. So the offer was for a partial bailout, though Voyager Digital dismissed the offer as a lowball bid. But the bankruptcy proceedings continued, and eventually Voyager Digital essentially went up on the auction block, and FTX ended up winning the auction. So it outbid all other competitors, and FTX was expected to bring Voyager Digital out of bankruptcy, which is not going to happen. Spoiler alert. FTX started to run into trouble later in the summer of 2022, for one thing. Uh, The FDIC, a U.S. bank regulator, issued a stern warning to FTX, claiming the company had made misleading statements regarding whether its funds were insured by the U.S. government. Specifically, the FDIC called out a tweet by Brett Harrison, who was a leader at FTX, The FDIC argued that Harrison's tweet made it sound like customers who held funds at FTX and who were purchasing stocks through FTX had the benefit of those transactions being FDIC insured, which was not the case. Uh, Harrison would subsequently delete the tweet, and folks assumed that the whole thing was a poorly worded message in the first place that was intended to reassure people that crypto really isn't as risky as some folks were saying. Now, keep in mind, This is happening in the wake of the crypto market decline that began back in the spring. Then we get to early November. Now, for those listening from the future, I'm recording and publishing this in mid-November 2022. So everything I'm going to talk about next happened in the last two weeks. And a whole bunch of things happened in rapid succession. On November 2nd, the crypto news site Coindesk posted an article about a leaked balance sheet regarding Alameda Research, and the implications were troubling, to say the least. According to the balance sheet, Alameda Research was taking assets from FTX, the cryptocurrency exchange, and then using those assets to fund trades that Alameda Research was was making. Those FTX assets belonged to FTX customers. So one of SBF's companies was essentially dipping into one of his other companies in order to fund trades. And moreover, it was doing this without the consent of FTX customers. Okay, that's a lot to take in, but we've got so much more. We're going to take another break. And when we come back, I'm going to talk about some of the really crazy stuff that's happened in the last two weeks. But first, let's take a break. 
Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so Alameda Research is taking FTX money, which is provided by FTX's customers who are part of this cryptocurrency exchange. It's taking money out of those accounts in order to fund investments. You might be thinking, that doesn't sound like it should be legal. And in most places, it's not. U.S. securities law requires the companies be very transparent about this sort of thing and that they secure the consent of customers before doing anything like this with those customers' funds. Uh, This practice actually even goes against FTX's own terms of service. So 
even if it weren't illegal, it would be against the company's own policy. And yet, according to this leaked document, this is what was happening. The balance sheet showed that Alameda Research had a lot of assets in FTT. That's that exchange coin that's used by FTX. Now, by itself, that's not immediately a problem necessarily, but it brings up some red flags. Because if your investment firm's assets are made up mostly of a cryptocurrency that you also happen to have invented, it begins to sound a little bit like you're printing up your own money and you're trying to live like Emperor Norton of San Francisco. If you don't know who Emperor Norton was, look him up because it's a crazy story that's genuinely entertaining. There's some tragedy there, but it's, it's got a lot of quirky, fun stuff in it. You should look that up. Anyway, the biggest asset held by Alameda Research was a whopping $3.66 billion worth of quote-unquote unlocked FTT. Third place, the third biggest asset, was another $2.16 billion of FTT collateral. And then much further down, you had another $292 million of locked FTT. And this got a lot of folks saying, huh, it kind of looks like you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. That Alameda Research, this, this quantitative investment firm, was leaning heavily on the funds within FTX, a cryptocurrency exchange, in order to pay for investments. Now, if this balance sheet had not been leaked and FTX customers remained unaware that their money was being used to fuel Alameda Research, maybe everything would have remained more or less stable, or at least not obviously unstable. Maybe FTX would still be operating just fine today. But Coindesk's report changed all of that. For one thing, it showed that Alameda Research had billions of dollars of debt. So that is a big risk. If this organization is in debt to the tune of around $8 billion, and if it's dependent upon funds from a totally different company, that other company is at risk too. So a few days later, on November 6th, 2022, Binance's CEO, Ol CZ, Changpeng Zhao, said his company would liquidate their FTT holdings. Now, do you remember those? Because Binance was an early investor into FTX. Then FTX paid off Binance's investment with 23 million FTTs. Well, now Binance was saying, yeah, we're going to cash those out. We would like to cash out our FTT holdings for, you know, some other form of currency. Well, if you flood a market with any asset, you typically see that asset's value drop. Right In the example I gave early on, if you were to buy a bunch of cheap apples and you were going across town and selling your cheap apples at a profit, eventually you would flood the market on the other side of town with apples and they wouldn't be valuable anymore, right? They would, they would, the prices would be closer to evening out. So you flood a market, the value drops. Well, Binance dropping all of its FTT was about to flood the exchange with FTT tokens. So then you had all these other people who owned FTT tokens, and they said, well, I don't want to be left holding the bag. I don't want my FTT tokens to be valueless. I'm going to cash out too. Well, now FTX was in a bind. 
because it had been apparently funneling money over to Alameda Research, and it didn't have enough cash to cover all the requests as people were trying to cash out. It was a liquidity crisis. And FTX didn't have enough to cover all of these requests. So the company ends up being in serious trouble. Like if people hear, hey, there's not enough money in the bank to cover everyone, then there's often a run on the bank. That's exactly what happened. There was a run on the bank, except in this case, the bank is a cryptocurrency exchange. Now, before I explain what happened next, I need to talk a little bit about CZ and his ongoing feud with SBF. Yes, it's the war of the initials. Now, as we learned, CZ's company was one of the earliest investors in SBF's company. So what the heck happened to turn these two collaborators into bitter rivals? Well, no one has really documented the whole thing, but my guess is one really big reason comes down to the concept of government regulation. See, governments around the world have been debating on how or if to regulate the crypto market. And of course, the crypto market was set up in a large part as a way to sidestep stuff like government regulation. SBF testified before U.S. Congress about crypto and even worked with them to sort of draft recommendations for regulations that would end up affecting the crypto industry. And CZ just wasn't having any of that. CZ definitely does not want regulation entering into the conversation at all. It's a four-letter word in his mind. Now, you could argue that SBF saw that regulations are on the horizon and that by becoming part of the conversation, he could help draft regulations that would have a relatively light touch on the crypto market. So he could kind of steer the government's approach to crypto. But his involvement in even talking about regulations made him persona non grata to folks like CZ, who just don't want to even entertain the thought of it, whether it's, you know, somewhat favorable to crypto or not. Now, did CZ see an opportunity to go for SBF's jugular by selling off 23 million FTT tokens and tanking an overextended cryptocurrency exchange? Moreover, it's a cryptocurrency exchange that is second only to his own right? It's, it's one that's run by a guy who's working to draft crypto regulations with the U.S. government. So you could say that CZ has a whole bunch of axes to grind against SBF. Like you've got the number two cryptocurrency exchange out there. So it's the biggest competitor. You've got this whole potential regulations thing looming on the horizon. Uh, you know, all these sort of ideas. But according to CZ, none of that even factored into his decision. He said that Binance was divesting itself of FTT tokens because of, quote-unquote, recent revelations, which he did not elaborate upon, but folks took it to mean that balance sheet stuff that leaked on Coindesk. Now, I get the feeling that some of his decision may have, in fact, been personal and not just business, but again, that's just my opinion. I don't have anything to back that up apart from you know, various tweet streams that came out. So you can't really call that evidence. It's just the feeling I get. Anyway, whatever the motivation was, Binance's move of selling off this FTT directly led to a financial crisis for FTX, the cryptocurrency exchange. And then two days later, because I told you this stuff moved so fast, CZ and Binance announced an intent 
to acquire FTX. So now the number one cryptocurrency exchange says it's going to buy the number two cryptocurrency exchange because the number two one is in trouble. The following day, so at this point, we're at November 9th, 2022, CZ says, yeah, no, nah, thanks, I'm good, and backed away from the deal. And that was, you know, legally fine because the two entities had not entered into any sort of binding agreement. So Binance said it was going to acquire FTX and the next day said, you know what? No, we're not. And they walked away. And things got even uglier at FTX. And some wonder if that was in fact the point, like if Binance ever actually intended to acquire FTX. And I don't know the answer to that either. So FTX halted withdrawals on November 10th. So people could not take their money out of uh, FTX starting November 10th. They also stopped accepting new clients so they wouldn't let anyone else get get an account with the exchange. And SBF indicated that he was seeking alternative saviors now that Binance had bailed out of the bailout. So SBF needed more than $9 billion to stop FTX from collapsing along with uh, Alameda Research. He did not get his $9 billion. He reached out to Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong, among others, and no lifelines were thrown. So on November 11th, which was last Friday, FTX entered into Chapter 11 bankruptcy proceedings here in the United States. SBF also stepped down as CEO. He was replaced by, you know what, you just can't make this stuff up. He was replaced by John J. Ray III. This guy was the lawyer who was brought in to oversee the liquidation of the Enron Corporation in the wake of that company's scandalous self-destruction. So if I ever do a podcast series about businesses going kaput, kind of like business on the brink, if I ever did that again, I could spend a full season just covering what happened at Enron. Anyway, I just think it's safe to say that John J. Ray III is an expert at dismantling companies that have collapsed in on themselves. But wait, it gets worse. So on November 12th, Reuters issued a report saying that FTX was missing money. A lot of money. So we're talking about around a billion dollars of customer funds missing from FTX, maybe as much as two billion, which certainly prompts a question, which is, where the hell is my money? I'm assuming people who had accounts were saying that. I don't have an account with them, so. But I I could just, that's what I would be saying if I did. I'll move on. That same day, FTX moved customer funds into offline wallets, aka cold storage, meaning that there's no way for customers to access those funds. They are disconnected from the exchange, but it also means that nothing else happening at the exchange can pull money from those digital wallets. And FTX then announced that there had been a string of quote-unquote unauthorized transactions and that these had drained FTX funds. You might wonder, well, how much money was taken? And that depends upon whom you believe. On the low end, we're looking at around $473 million that were drained or stolen. It could be as much as $650 million or maybe even more. That's a huge range, right? And FTX definitely did not need this on top of everything else. It really is kind of like beating a dead horse. And it might even be worse because one FTX admin allegedly posted to the company's Telegram account saying, quote, 
FTX has been hacked. All funds seem to be gone, end quote. Yikes. Immediately, there were folks online speculating that perhaps someone within FTX, maybe SBF or one of the 10 people that cohabitate with him in the Bahamas had done this, had siphoned off the cash and they were trying to make a quick getaway. But there have been no reports to suggest that's actually what is going on. Investigations are ramping up. In fact, a a few investigations began before FTX even announced the theft. For example, so you have the Royal Bahamas Police Force. Uh, That's one entity engaged in investigating FTX. You might wonder, well, why the Royal Bahamas Police Force? And again, it's because last year FTX relocated its HQ to the Bahamas. Um, These crypto exchanges frequently choose offshore locations to avoid stuff like those pesky government regulations we keep mentioning. Anyway, the Bahamas police have stated that they're looking into FTX for any signs of criminal activity in the wake of this collapse. Then, the Wall Street Journal reports that the U.S. Department of Justice, as well as the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission, or SEC, are also investigating FTX. And in fact, these investigations started before we learned about the theft. Okay, so investigations are ramping up. We'll probably learn more about what was going on and potentially who was responsible. But let's also talk about some of the other effects this fallout has had beyond FTX going into bankruptcy. So just a few months ago, SBF, the co-founder, had a personal worth of around $26 billion. Billion with a B a billionaire. Now, at the beginning of the FTX debacle, that value had plunged by more than $9 billion. To lose $9 billion instantly is, that's got to be a heck of a thing. But obviously, things just kept getting worse. So toward the middle of last week, SBF was said to have lost 94% of his wealth. Now, remember, he had 70% ownership of his companies, of FTX and Alameda Research. So a lot of his wealth was actually tied up into the value of those companies. It's not like he had a Scrooge McDuck-style vault filled with cash. So with those companies imploding, his wealth went up in smoke. And this is where we remember that wealth and money are two different things. Uh, I'm not sure how SBF is doing now, but on paper, he essentially went from being a billionaire to being broke in just a couple of weeks. I don't know if I could manage that, but I'm willing to give it a try. Someone just has to give me a few billion dollars first. Any takers? And yeah, I'm being a little flippant, but we should also remember SBF did genuinely want to help others, or at least he said he did. So let's talk about some of the companies that FTX moved to bail out before FTX had its own crisis. There was BlockFi, which has recently announced it has ceased business as normal, It has cited a lack of clarity regarding the situation at FTX as the reason to put a freeze on withdrawals. In addition, the company advised customers not to put more money into their digital wallets connected to the company's accounts, so that's a big ol' ouch. Voyager Digital, the company that FTX purchased at auction, is looking for a new buyer to bail out the bankrupt broker and lending company. So the life preserver that FTX threw to Voyager Digital has transformed into an anchor. So they're back at square one. The cryptocurrency called Solana is in freefall at the moment. Solana has connections to SBF as it is the native token to the Solana blockchain. 
which in turn has ties to another SBF project called Serum. So arguably because of SBF's association, Serum is in trouble and Solana's value is plummeting by association. The Miami Heat Arena has now removed the FTX Arena name and said it will search for a new name sponsor. There were still 17 and a half years left on the previous deal, but the arena had only received a small amount of the 135 million bucks that were said to be part of that deal. So they're done now. Uh, The F1 racing team owned by Mercedes that FTX had sponsored has similarly removed the FTX logo from their vehicles. Last week, FTX's philanthropic organization, the FTX Foundation, and its FTX Future Fund project saw a mass resignation as the entire staff quit due to having, quote, fundamental questions about the legitimacy and integrity of the business operations that were funding the FTX Foundation and the Future Fund, end quote. The organization had previously committed to awarding more than $150 million in grants. And you know, it's rare that I do this these days because I I don't tend to have episodes last quite this long, but we're going to take one more break and I'm going to talk a bit about some of the other lasting effects that FTX's destruction has had and will continue to have on the crypto world. But first, let's take one more break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, thanks for sticking around. We are in the home stretch, but man, just the, the implications of this are so huge and so many different companies and organizations have been affected. You know, we've already talked about the companies that FTX was trying to bail out and how now they're in as bad or if not worse place than they were before that happened. Uh, FTX, obviously, and Alameda Research are both totally crumbling. SBF is on the the bricks he's been kicked out, or really he resigned after saying that he uh, done messed up, but he used more colorful metaphors in his language. But the fallout has also raised concerns that these crypto exchanges lack proper governance. So the concern is that they're being run by people who might be engineers, uh, they might be investors, but they aren't people who necessarily have a deep amount of experience when it comes to running giant financial companies. And when they're on the small scale, it might be manageable, but as they get bigger and bigger, that becomes more difficult to do. And typically, these giant financial institutions have a board of directors that pulls from a really diverse group. Uh, Maybe not racially diverse, (laughs) as it turns out. The finance world is uh, overwhelmingly staffed with white men, but it would be diverse from different areas of expertise so that you would have people who could guide an organization so that it doesn't find itself in real trouble. But again, like cryptocurrency, one of the big things that attracts people to it is that it kind of has this bootstrapped, uh, almost techno-anarchist approach to finance. It's certainly evangelicized as being decentralized. I would argue effectively it is not decentralized. It's just kind of surface level decentralized, but effectively you get a core of very powerful entities that control everything. And so it still becomes centralized. It's just centralized in a different way than you would find in traditional financial institutions. Anyway, there's a real lack of governance for a lot of these organizations. So when things go wrong, there's not really anyone there who has the experience to kind of write the course before things just escalate into an uncontrollable situation, a la FTX. And this has led to renewed calls for regulating the industry. My guess is that any regulations we actually see passed to handle cryptocurrency and crypto markets are not going to be the light-touch approach that SBF was advocating for. Like, SBF wrote a... Uh, a a white paper that was essentially crypto regulations for dummies. In fact, it was titled something similar to that. 
And, you know, his idea was that these are going to happen one way or the other. So it's best if our voice is represented during the formulation of these regulations so that they don't kill the industry because there's a legit fear that that could happen. Um, And so now with this spectacular implosion of FTX, along with SBF being revealed to perhaps have been engaged in some uh, at least questionable and potentially illegal activities as far as Alameda Research and FTX are concerned, that really means that I think a lot of people who otherwise would have been receptive to his ideas are now going to say, no, no, he's he was protecting himself, right? These regulations were meant to allow him to continue to operate in a way where he would benefit most. And so we can't trust it. So we have to make much, much more restrictive regulations, which, hey, CZ, if in fact any of your motivations tied back to a resentment about SBF arguing for regulation, I got some bad news for you, bud. Things are going to be way worse now than they would have been if, in fact, Binance's decision to pull out was just business and there was nothing personal about it. If, in fact, what CZ said was true, that Binance got out because they saw this balance sheet or, you know, quote-unquote, recent revelations and realized that their their investment was unwise and that's why they sold it off. Well, you could argue that that move precipitated into this escalating effect that has affected the entire cryptocurrency industry, including Binance itself and the value of their assets, that it may be viewed as a very self-destructive business move in the long run. Not that I think SBF and FTX should have just kept getting away with allegedly misusing customer funds either. I don't think that. But again, there are no good guys in this story, y'all. It's all a bunch of supervillains. Speaking of CZ, he has also gone on to throw shade at another cryptocurrency exchange called Crypto.com. Crypto.com got pulled into the spotlight when it... When it accidentally transferred around $360 million worth of cryptocurrency that belonged to crypto customers off of its own exchange and onto another external public exchange. So what they intended to do was transfer those funds into cold storage. In other words, into offline digital wallets, which already was kind of like, it raises your your red flags again. Like, why are you moving money off of your exchange and into cold storage where people can't access it? Why are you doing that? Or are you doing it in a way so that you can protect it because you expect some form of intrusion attack on your exchange? And this way, the money is protected from hackers trying to get access to those funds. Whatever it may be, it starts to raise concerns. And, uh, you know, Crypto.com had accidentally moved these funds onto a totally different exchange. Then they wrote to the exchange and essentially said, uh, my bad, would you mind handing that $360 million worth of assets back to us, please? Which is nice because, you know, that exchange actually did do that. They returned the money, but it was beyond embarrassing. I mean, you're talking about more than a quarter of a billion dollars accidentally sent to the wrong place. That is not the kind of story you want to tell 
when you're desperately attempting to reassure people that crypto is not a huge risk. Anyway, CZ appeared to allude to Crypto.com and said that if an exchange is moving large amounts, quote, before or after they demonstrate their wallet addresses, it is a clear sign of problems, end quote. Now, this also ties into the pressure that a lot of these exchanges are now feeling as governments and as customers are demanding that the exchanges prove they have the liquidity, they have the cash on hand to cover all the assets on the exchange. So if you think of it like a bank, you want proof that the bank has a dollar for every dollar that clients have put into an account. So that if people wanted to pull their money out of the bank and everyone did it at the same time, the bank would actually be able to cover that. That's what people want exchanges to prove. And because of the lack of governance, that's really hard to do. At least it's really hard to do in a way that will seem legit, right? Like there's a real worry that someone might just print out a piece of paper saying, yes, we have all the monies and not actually have to prove that they in fact have all the monies. So FTX did not have this, right? That that company had funneled its assets to Alameda Research, at least allegedly. And people want to know if they decide they want to withdraw their money, that the exchange is actually going to have the money to pay them. That's what it really boils down to. And it's it's a real crisis for cryptocurrency exchanges right now that have been operating fast and loose for a few years. Now, some analysts are even warning that Binance could fall into a similar situation down the line. Because like FTX, Binance is also an offshore exchange with very little governance. So there's not a whole lot of uh, uh, confidence that Binance is being run on the up and up. It might be, but the lack of governance creates suspicion. So there's this fear that Binance could be engaged in, you know, similar activities that FTX was engaged in, and that it could be gambling with user funds. Now, maybe that gamble will pay off and everyone will be fine, or maybe it could come all crashing down, which would be a real super hard blow to the crypto industry as a whole. We've seen crypto take a hit in value with FTX's fall. I'll talk about that again in a second. So if Binance, the number one cryptocurrency exchange went down, it would be true chaos. And that's what a lot of people are worried about. Now, maybe Binance isn't gambling at all. Maybe these suspicions that some analysts have are completely misguided. You know, maybe it's totally fine. It's just impossible to say because it's an offshore exchange that has very little governance and there's no transparency. So with that comes this suspicion that cannot be allayed, right? Unless you change the operation of the organization, people are just going to continue to be suspicious. Now, maybe nothing goes wrong and everything's fine, or maybe something goes really wrong and nothing's fine. Uh, I don't know how legit those suspicions are. Like, I don't know how well-founded they are because I would need to look much more deeply into Binance to give my opinion Maybe I'll do a full episode on Binance later and kind of say what at least the experts are thinking, because obviously this is above my pay grade. But I will say, 
CZ, the the CEO of Binance, strikes me as a little bit of a bully. Um, That doesn't necessarily mean that the organization is rotten or anything like that. Uh, It just, it doesn't help the case because CZ is very good at getting people's hackles up. And that, I think, feeds into the suspicion. Finally, let's talk about FTX's collapse and its broader impact on crypto in general. So in one week, the market cap for crypto fell around 20% as FTX smoldered and then collapsed and just became a, a burning trash fire. So again, if Binance sold off its FTT stock as a business decision, like it was solely for business and they thought FTT is not safe, uh, FTX is in trouble. We want to get out of this before it goes bad. This is just business. There's nothing personal about it. Well, that decision did precipitate a series of events that saw Binance's overall investments decrease in value by about a fifth. So again, if it's a business decision, it's a business decision that costs them a huge amount of wealth. Um, And maybe it was just purely a business decision. Maybe it, in fact, was the best out of a bunch of bad possible choices. Uh, Again, it's hard for me to say. I will say that FTX and its collapse and that 20% drop is pretty much in line with what we saw with Mt. Gox years ago. Now, Mt. Gox was the number one cryptocurrency exchange when it went under, and that ended up being a 30% drop in the crypto market. The crypto market in general was way, way smaller than what it is today. But yeah, it was the number one, dropped in 30% value. Now the number two goes down. We see a 20% value drop. It's rough. I don't know what's on the horizon for crypto. I don't know if and when it will have a turnaround. I suspect there will be a turnaround at some point. Not every cryptocurrency is going to make it, I don't think. I think some other uh, cryptocurrencies are going to completely fold before we see the end of this year, maybe. Definitely before we get too far into next year. But I don't know that they're all going to go away. And certainly Bitcoin has had periods where its value has dropped significantly only for it to return to being even stronger than it was before. So it's entirely possible it will be able to do that again. But as events like this happen and people begin to lose confidence in the crypto market overall, um, it's bad news for everyone in the crypto game. Because as some people have put it, the real value in crypto comes in people's belief in crypto. And if people stop believing in crypto, then it stops having value because there's nothing else to back up the value of the cryptocurrency except people's belief that it has value. Uh, it, It strikes me kind of as similar to the way Terry Pratchett treated gods in his Discworld series. Uh, The gods of Discworld have a presence and power that is equal to the amount of belief that is placed in those gods. So as, as people stop believing in gods, those gods become less and less powerful until they're barely there at all. The same thing could be said about cryptocurrencies because there's nothing else underneath them to dampen the effect of people losing confidence in the currency. So we'll have to see how or if 
the cryptocurrency market in general recovers from the FTX scandal. I'm sure we're still really in the early stages of those consequences. I mean, like I said, most of the stuff I talked about in this episode happened over the last two weeks. Who knows what's going to happen in the next two weeks besides Thanksgiving. America Thanksgiving is going to happen in the next two weeks. So, you know, have a slice of turkey for me if you eat turkey. If you don't, then don't eat turkey for me. That would just be selfish on my part. Okay, that's it for this epic long episode of Tech Stuff. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope this has given you insight into what was going on with FTX, with its co-founder, SBF, with its arch nemesis, CZ, <laughs> and Binance, and uh, and the token FTT, you know me. So we're done with all that for now. I'm sure I'll have to follow up on this story as more develops, but I wanted to get this down while it was all very fresh. If you have suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, there are a couple of ways you can reach out to me. One is that you can download and install and use the iHeartRadio app. It is free to download, free to use. You can navigate over to Tech Stuff by typing it into the little search bar. You can listen to episodes that way. You can also leave me a message. There's a little microphone icon. If you click on that, you can record a voice message up to 30 seconds in length. Let me know what you would like to hear. If you would like me to include your voice message in a future episode of Tech Stuff, let me know that too. I will only include it if you say it's okay. Otherwise, I'll listen to it and you'll never have to worry about being played for anyone else. Or if you would rather not speak into a microphone, and some days I'd rather not too, but it's my job, then you can always reach out to me on Twitter. The handle for the show is TechStuffHSW. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilbur Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.